0: depending on um, how much was going on in my life, what was happening. The year that I discovered World of Warcraft, I read 47 books. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of that year, I was like, goodbye, World of Warcraft.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 180. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show, What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, this week, I want to tell you about another interesting literary podcast called But That's Another Story. It's a show about how the books we love can change us. Bestselling author Will Schwalbe talks to influential guests about the books that have meant the most to them in their lives. I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear that the very first episode I listened to was with author Louise Penny. That's a great place to dive in. And next, you can hear Jodie Foster talk about how reading Franny and Zooey by J.D. Salinger convinced her to put her acting career on hold so she could go to college and form a community. And then hear from NPR's Sam Sanders discuss how New People by Danny Senna changed the way he thinks about race. It's a beautiful show full of moving stories. Find, but that's another story. Wherever you get your podcasts, today's guest is reading speed demon Liberty Hardy, professional book nerd, and host of Book Riot's All the Books podcast. Together, we are going deep into a book labyrinth, discussing truly committed bookworm questions like, "How do you avoid back strain while reading for hours on end?" "How do I smuggle one thousand books out of my house safely?" and "What does Kate Atkinson's grocery list look like?" We're even playing a Tom Stoppard-inspired literary game that might destroy your TBR. I think you'll find Liberty just as delightful as I did. I mean, she describes herself as an unrepentant philosophy reader. How could you not? So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it. Liberty, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this.
1: It's so much fun to talk about books with people who love books, which is something that we both get to do all the time in different ways and different spaces.
0: We are extremely fortunate.
1: So I know what you do because I'm a book person in the book space. But when you, like, I don't know, run into a new neighbor you haven't met on the sidewalk and they say, Liberty, what do you do? How do you answer them?
0: I say I'm a book enthusiast. I do a little of this, a little of that, actually read for a living, which is like the most amazing dream job ever. I work for Book Riot, uh, writing a lot of uh, newsletters for them. I do their All the Books podcast. I'm one of the bibliologists for their Get Booked recommendation service. I'm a judge for Book of the Month. And I also just talk about books in assorted other places, online, everywhere, at people that don't even want to hear about it, on the street. I just talk about books.
1: (laughs) You know, I am still having a hard time getting the word bibliologist to roll off my tongue.
0: It is a little awkward, but it's a really fun program and and it's going really well. How long have you been reading for a living? Four years full time now. So, I mean, I've been reading since I was very, very little every day, all day, (laughs) you know. Um, So I've been preparing for this for a long time. I just had to get like a lot of retail work out of the way first.
1: (laughs) So you were born for it. That's a good point. Okay, let's go way back. What was young Liberty like as a reader? Was the writing on the wall that this would be where you were all these years later?
0: Absolutely. Uh, my mother is a librarian, or she was a librarian when I was little. So I was like at the library all the time as a small child, reading on my own. By the time I was four, and I spent all my time at the library, mostly reading a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have been reading. <laughs> my mother just kind of no, no, no. Expound on that, please. <laughs> Oh, well, like when I was like 10 years old, I was reading John Updike and John Irving and um, Sidney Sheldon, all these things that I knew were really popular at the library. Um, I think that's where I learned to read so fast was because my mother would just let me go off into the stacks. but if I tried to bring some of those things home, she would have been like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I think that's where I acquired my fast reading skills. And, and it was a dream. I mean just spend time in the library every day and it runs in the family. Maybe my mother reads all the time. My niece is six. she's reading the Harry Potter's on her Own. I mean, it's it's like genetic, apparently.
1: <laughs> Just diving right in. It's funny. I talk to a lot of avid adult readers who, I mean, definitely not all, but many avid adult readers say that when they were a kid, their parents let them read whatever. They couldn't watch whatever, but they could read whatever they wanted. I think their parents were trusting that they wouldn't they wouldn't scar themselves too deeply and that they didn't want to, you know, tell their kids, "No, that book is not for you." At any point,
0: yeah. And now, when I'm reading things, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, I wouldn't want children to read this, or I wouldn't want, you know, my niece to read this. Um, but I have gone back and read some of the things I read as a child, like The Witches of Eastwick, for instance, and I realized that a lot of what was going on in that book went right over my head. You know, so I think like kids, you know, pick up on some stuff, but you have to give them some credit, and also some things just go right over their heads.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so four years ago, you made the transition to reading for a living. Was that an abrupt shift for you?
0: Not exactly. I mean, i had been working for Book Riot for a few years before that. I was working as a bookseller in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is a job that I loved and someday hope to get back to doing. The time was right. Things were kind of slow at the store. I needed a change. My health wasn't great at the time. It just kind of segued into it. It's been amazing. Okay, so I've heard a rumor.
1: Actually, it's possible it's a true fact shared by you. (laughs) Something about 600 books a year.
0: Yes. Uh, My last couple of years of reading, I've hit over 600 books.
1: Personal best. (laughs) How big a change was that for you compared to like five years ago?
0: A couple hundred books. Um, I was doing between two and 400, depending on um, how much was going on in my life, what was happening. The year that I discovered World of Warcraft, I read 47 books. (laughs) So at the end of that year, I was like, goodbye, World of Warcraft. I still miss it people are like, how do you read so much? How do you read so fast? And I wish I had like a secret answer for them, like a special, like you you eat chocolate cake and you can read all these books. But I don't. It's it's literally that I read 10 to 17 hours a day. I sleep very little, which is really bad for you. Like, don't try this at home, kids. (laughs) And I read all day.
1: I got a recent question from a reader who said, I have a problem. I spend a lot of time reading. Do you have any posture tips? So, Liberty, where do you read 10 to 17 hours a day? Because I'm pretty sure this reader who was concerned about her posture was reading a little less than that.
0: I start off reading in the morning. The first thing when I wake up, I roll over and I start reading a book. So I'm lying down in bed. Then I get up and I move to my desk and I do a lot of my reading on my laptop. I know a lot of people like to read electronically on devices, but I use my laptop, which I find is great. What do you like about the laptop? I think that I can read more as much as I love holding like physical copies of books. I think that I can make the font really big and I don't even have to really move my eyes to just read down a screen and just keep scrolling. I think I can take a lot of it in that way. Um, It seems to work for me really well. So I do that sitting at my desk and then I do that standing up with my laptop on a bookshelf in front of me. Like I like to stand, try to get up and move around a lot while I'm reading. Uh, And then I end the day sitting on the couch and then lying down, falling asleep reading.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's your rhythm for reading, writing about reading? Talking about reading. Do you have a time of day that you prefer to write as opposed to actually read?
0: I don't. I usually have deadlines, and I'm one of those people that waits until the very last minute to do things. It seems to work well for me. Like, I need that added pressure behind me. So it depends on when I have something due. Or also, galleys expire off laptops. I've heard that on Kindles and stuff, if you get an e galley, it doesn't expire, which is amazing, but I need that pressure behind me to force me to read things. Otherwise, I would just keep downloading them and never read them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I might be hanging my head right now.
0: No, no shame at all. But it's like, I need to read some of these things for work. And they would just sit there because I'd be like, Oh, a new book. Oh, a new book. Oh, a new book, like all the time. So the pressure of having something that's going to expire that I need for work motivates me to read things at certain times. And then on the weekends, I try to read what I'm interested in uh, new things that are coming up that I'm excited about that I'll probably talk about, but also like some I'm trying to throw in more backlist. To read 600 books a year.
1: Now, I know a lot of people will hear that and think, there's no way I could. And I'm not saying that's a goal by any means. But aside from quitting your job where you couldn't read full time, were there any structural changes you made in your life to enable you to read that kind of volume?
0: Yes. I moved in with my boyfriend. So I was not working all the time to try and pay the rent by myself. I have a house now. We live in a house. Um, I used to live in a tiny, tiny, tiny little apartment downtown that was very loud and just noisy and things going on all the time. Um, so now I'm like in a quiet house, in a quiet office. My boyfriend is a musician. So he spends a lot of his time playing music in his room. And I sit in my room and read. And it's like a lot of uninterrupted time. And it's amazing. The only uh, interruptions now are the kittens.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which
1: if you're listening and you don't follow Liberty on Instagram, share your handle, please.
0: It's friends and Comes Alive.
1: And I don't know the story behind it, but there must be one.
0: Yes. I am in my 40s, and when I was little, the Peter Frampton live album, Frampton Comes Alive, was like the biggest selling live album of all time. And so when I was trying to come up with an Instagram handle, I was like, I wanted something that says, like, books rock. But it kind of backfired because a lot of readers are younger than me, and they think I just really like Jonathan Franzen, which is not the case. (laughs) Like, he's fine, whatever. But like, it's really about like books rock. Go check out
1: and Comes Alive so you can see the adorable kittens who seem to coexist just fine
0: with your stacks and stacks. Yes. Surprisingly, only knocked books over a couple of times. They're more into chewing. I I don't know which is worse. Probably the chewing. They like to chew on my books. They like to chew on everything. As I was telling you before we started talking, they chewed through my laptop cord this morning. Uh, They just chew everything. It's like I'm destined to have cats that chew on books.
1: Liberty, what's the upside of reading at that volume? I know many people dream that they could get through the stacks and stacks of books or the long, long TBR that they have.
0: You know, it might sound hokey, but I really feel like recommending books is my calling. Like after all this time, um, and I felt it like when I worked as a bookseller too, um, I don't have any skills. I don't have any education. I don't have any special talents except reading. And I love being able to know as much about as many books as I can to help people find books that make them happy. Because I think that reading is a pleasure and a joy that like nothing else for people. So I love being able to tell them about as many things as I possibly can that will bring them that kind of happiness. How do you track what you read? Or do you feel like you do have the gift of being able to
1: recall the right book at the right time? That's something I struggle with. If it wasn't written down, I think I'd remember maybe a quarter of the books that I've actually read.
0: Yeah. I keep a spreadsheet, you know, as I get older I find I'm often going back going, "Didn't I read a book by that title?" Especially thrillers, mysteries and thrillers, I mix up in my head all the time now. And um, when I'm trying to remember, like, which was the one where, like, the penguin murdered the person with the icicle and then drove <laughs> the sports car, you know, like, I just I can't keep the details straight anymore. If it's like a few years out, like, forget it. <laughs> so
1: what do you track in the spreadsheet?
0: I used to keep a synops- synopsis. I actually used to keep a really detailed group of journals because I, I'm kind of like a data nerd. But it took me like a half an hour to enter a book each time I finished one. So I was like, this is like reading time. I could, you know, I could just cut this out. And so I've just started keeping like title, author, publisher, date I read it,
1: basically. I really relate to that. I mean, I enjoy copying down my favorite quotes and all that, but I could be reading.
0: I've worked it so I can shave off as much time doing anything else (laughs) so I can just read.
1: What's the downside of reading at that volume?
0: I, I don't really see a downside to it. It's how you choose to spend your time, right? Like, I don't watch very much TV. I don't go out of the house very often. Um, It's what I like to do, you know? So, like, if you want to have a lot of friends and a social life and, you know, go to the movies and do things, this is not how you read 600 books a year,
1: (laughs) Now, you've said that you're reading on deadline or for assignment for people who do not exist in that space. What are you working on this week? What are your assignments that are on your front burner?
0: I'm uh, doing things for the podcast each week. I do the all the books podcast for Book Riot. So I used to read really, really far out, like six months, you know, nine months out. Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten older, I've learned that I don't remember as much uh, so I have started reading like a lot closer to... No, you know, really it would never happen to me. I'm sure it's only you. That this yes, is happening to <laughs> I got a concussion from a book once, so
1: I'm sure that's probably what the problem is. You gotta tell us more about that.
0: Oh well, it was hold still. The Sally Mann biography, which you, if you've actually held onto it, the hardcover copy, is quite formidable. And I was trying to. Get- I read it
1: on ebook. I didn't realize that was like a personal safety choice, though.
0: <laughs> you were spared. As you can imagine, I have a lot of stacks of books in my house and I had it up on a big, tall bookcase. I had this big stack of books and I was trying to reach something underneath it and it fell and hit me square in the top of the head. Oh, liberty! Which is kind of cool, aside from the concussion part. Um, It was like, yeah, I got a concussion from a book. like (laughs) 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 Work-related.
1: Just your usual run-of-the-mill professional hazard.
0: Yeah, so what I'm doing this week is Basically, what it is, is I pick four titles that I'm really interested in. I will read anything and everything if someone tells me it's good. If someone whose opinion I trust says, you know, you need to read this um, romance novel about ferrets, like I will read it. (laughs) I pick like the four that I'm the most excited about that I have copies of. It usually works out well for me. These are good. But occasionally it's like, oh, no, I don't enjoy this. And so then I move on to the next one. And sometimes it's like two or three. You have those weeks every once in a while where it's like, I'm not enjoying any of this. Is it me or is it the mm-hmm. books? So I'm going to you know check out four books for the April 2nd show uh, that we're going to be recording tomorrow. And I'm super excited about those. I've already read two of them.
1: I only have two more to read. Is that typical for you that you get to talk about them while they're fresh
0: in your mind, newly read? Yes. Um, I used to be like, oh, I just got the new Kate Atkinson and I would read it right then. But then when it was time to record the show, I'd be like, I don't remember the characters' names. I don't remember exactly what happened here, so I'd have to go back and read it again. So now I try to be more patient and wait.
1: I really relate to that. The enthusiasm of a title, you can't wait to read, arriving on your doorstep.
0: Now does this ever happen to you? Do you ever get something that you are so excited to read that you cannot bring yourself to read it? Like it's just it's just too much. You're too excited. What if it's not good? You've been waiting for it for so long, like almost delayed. Yeah, no.
1: I mean, I understand this is a real thing for a lot of people and I understand why. Maybe I'm one of those kids who wouldn't have been able to resist the marshmallow. That's a possibility. (laughs) But no, if a book comes and I'm really excited to read it, I read it right away. Yeah. Unless I have to be like a very good self-controlled girl and like finish my big project or something first or finish something I have to read. But we're talking about a matter of like days or weeks, not five months. Mm -hmm. And also like really begrudgingly doing so because it seems like an adult necessity. Do
0: you find yourself doing that? Yeah. Every once in a while, there are certain authors that I get so excited that I just have to wait for a little bit before I can bring myself to read it. And usually it's not because I don't think it's going to be any good because these are like the authors that I love the most. So I know it will be, but I just get so excited. I'm like, I don't deserve this yet. I'm not ready for this (laughs) yet. I'm going to save this for when I need it.
1: If there is an author you love who, I mean, mm-hmm. you can only write a book so fast. Then if you've been waiting for it for a long time and it's finally here, then you read it in a day and you're done and you're waiting for another year or more. Yeah. Who are your authors like that? Oh,
0: Elizabeth McCracken. I just absolutely love her. Um, Edward P. Jones. It's been a long time, mm-hmm. long, long, long time since we've heard something from him. Mm-hmm. Um, Donna Tart, who writes a book every 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not very helpful. Let's see. Megan Abbott. I love everything she does. Sarah Gran. There are so many authors. I just get so excited to read their books that I'm like, <gasps> I have to wait. I have to wait. Right now I'm doing that with the Kate Atkinson. Like I read the first few pages of Big Sky, which comes out in June. hmm but now I'm like, ah, I'm going to hold off a little bit longer.
1: Have you read all the books in the Jackson Brody series? I was surprised that she was returning to that series for her next it's one.
0: so exciting, though. Although I have to say, I thought her historical fiction was like, unparalleled. I mean, just amazing. So I would take whatever. Like, she could write a grocery list, and I would buy it and read it every day for the rest of my life.
1: I would love to see Kate Atkinson's grocery list, actually. Yeah. Liberty, if... Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say, if something happened and you had to read a lot less, uh, something did happen. Hold still, hit you in the head. But <laughs> if you suddenly, I don't know, encountered a perverse like genie in reverse and could only read a hundred books a year, how would you choose?
0: I guess it would depend on the circumstances. If it was like, I could only read a hundred books a year and I was still doing it for work, it would be new releases. But one of the things that I miss, and it's still like a Cadillac problem I miss going into a bookstore and not knowing what's on the shelves. Like I miss just going in and being like, this looks interesting. I'm going to get this. Mm-hmm. If it was a case of where I wasn't working in books anymore, I think that would be, that would be the driving factor. Again, I'd go in a bookstore and be like, what's that? What's that? What's that? But being able to you know, read as much as I do and learn all about books is way better than going in a bookstore and not knowing what all the books are on the shelves.
1: Tell me more about wanting to read more Backlist. What inspired them?
0: I just realized, like, I just been reading strictly new releases for work for the last couple of years, and there's so many great authors that you discover when you're doing that, and they have a lot of amazing backlists. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to fill in a little bit more of that, and I also started a spinoff of all the books called All the Backlist, yes. where I talk about backlist mm-hmm. titles, and so I was talking about, like, everything I could think of for the first, like, 50 or 60 episodes, and then I realized, like, even I have only read so much backlist. and yeah. I've given it all away already. So <laughs> I had to start trying to fit in some more, and and like I've been trying to read a couple of things. Like um, I know that like, people read in school. Like if we didn't read at our school things. I think I should read. Like I just read. Their eyes were watching God last year, which yeah. I, we didn't have to read in school, um, and it was amazing. Or like Passing by by Nella Larson, um, just some stuff that I think a lot of people have read that that I did
1: not. That's interesting. Those books were featured front and center in my library when I was there yesterday. That's fantastic. It's funny how sometimes all of a sudden everyone around you is talking about the same book because I just saw those yesterday and those are not hot new titles that are being featured everywhere right now. And I like how that's how the book universe works sometimes.
0: The other day I opened my book mail and I got four books that started with how, like the word how. What? In the mail on the same day? Yeah. And I love those kind of things. I love those weird random book things or like when you read something in a book and then you either see it in the news or on TV or you get another book that's like about that or another book mentions it. And it's just like, it's amazing. Like I call it like the, the new car syndrome, you know, where like you see a car and then suddenly everybody has that car. (laughs) I think I'd rather play that game with books. And when I was organizing my library recently, Doing an overhaul, there were a lot of books that start with how. In general, it was like, oh, um, how to catch a mole, how to do nothing, how not to die alone, and how could she? Those were the four books I got last spring.
1: All the book covers were yellow. Yep. This spring, they all start with how. Interesting. And, and a lot
0: of them are teal. I've discovered. Teal
1: is <laughs> the hot spring color. So you mentioned going through your books.
0: You just did a massive perch. I did. It was really fun. I used to be afraid of getting rid of books. I used to want to keep everything that I had read, even if I didn't like it, because the idea of having my own library was so exciting. But you can't, realistically, when you get as much book mail as I do, um, when you buy as many books as I do, kind of getting rid of books is kind of fun. I know it sounds scary, but it's really fun. I had to realistically look at things and say, am I going to read this again? Probably not. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I have a copy upstairs is keeping me from reading it again, because I'm being lazy, you knowing like, oh well, I have a copy, so it's there if I want it. I know. It. I got rid of uh, 2,600 books, which was about wow, a lot more than I thought. Yeah. So we moved into this house, and my boyfriend was like, "You can have the upstairs, and you can use that for your library." So I started putting books upstairs, and then I just kept putting books upstairs, and I kept being like, "I'm just going to get rid of the books that I read." But then that didn't happen, and so I was like, "I probably have like 3,000 books in the house," and so when. It was all said and done. I had about six thousand in the house, and I brought them downstairs. and He was like, "Are these all the books you own?" And I was like, "No, these are all the books that are leaving." And he was just like, "Oh my god!" Because he doesn't go upstairs, so he was like, "Oh, I had no idea."
1: He's he
0: afraid. He's afraid Sally Man is going to fall on his head. <laughs> yeah, the entire house is going to fall on his head. <laughs> the structural integrity of my home is. Probably not as great as it could be, or it's better now than it was, I guess.
1: So you got rid of 2,600, which left, did you just say you had 6,000 books in your house before this started? Give us an idea of how one gets rid of 2,600 books. What kind of time period did you do this over?
0: It took me over a week, like I went through and I said, okay, any of the books that I moved in here with five years ago that I still have not read are going out, which was like two or three hundred. And then it was any of the books that I have read that I'm not going to read again going out. And that was like another 1700. And then it was like I went through and I said, okay, now I'm going to look at all the books that I own that I have not read that I realistically am not going to read. Because I get a lot of stuff in the mail like, you know, it's great, but I get a lot of stuff in the mail that's like unsolicited. I would love to read that someday, but I'm just not going to get to it. So I picked all those out, and I ended up with 2,600. I give books to people all the time: family members, friends, uh, the delivery people, the UPS lady. She's taken so many books from me, um, <laughs> and. and- Just like the people at the post office, the people at the store across the street. But the thing is that I had to start calling in new people because my friends were like, we don't read as fast as you. We still have the 15 books that you gave us six months ago. Right. Um, I donate them to the senior center where my boyfriend's dad works. Mm -hmm. And I give them to librarian friends um, who use them for summer reading programs, like to give away. And also Mm -hmm. they use them, I didn't realize that they use them for like reader's advisory. They have them like pick out books, like look through the stacks and see like what they could find. It's sort of like a like learning for the Reader's Advisory, which I thought was really cool. I had not heard that. And I, you know, I just give them to everybody. And I also find that contrary to what a lot of people believe, giving books to people who want to read and are enthusiastic, like giving them free books does not keep them from buying more books or going to the library. Um, I think it just keeps fostering, you know, a love of reading.
1: Reading begets reading. Yeah. Yeah, I see that too. So give us a feeling for how much space. I'm still hung up on this 2,600 books idea because I got rid of 300 a couple months ago and it took up a lot of space when you stack (laughs) 300 books in your back room. How did you get 2,600 out the door? Can you give us some idea of what that looks like?
0: Yes, I arranged them in stacks of 25 and it filled our entire sunroom. The cats were so excited. I put all the finished copies in one room and then the galleys filled almost our whole living room. Because they were upstairs. I'm not going to lie. I think it, I would, it would qualify as hoarding. At point. <laughs> like upstairs. And, the, and part of the reason I did it, most of the reason I did it is because I got the kittens. And I was like, they need to be able to go upstairs because they bother my other cat and she needs more space. But I was worried about stacks of books falling over on them. And at that point, like I just had books all across the floor, like big stacks of books just filling the whole floor. Some kind of like book labyrinth. Um, so that's when I made the decision. <laughs> I would much rather do that than a corn maze for the record. <laughs> That'd be so great. So, So I had to do it. It's not for everybody. I have friends who read almost as much as I do, and they have 20 books in their house. It's my aesthetic. <laughs>
1: How do you find what you're looking for? How do you organize your collection?
0: Well, that was another problem. That was another reason why I did I did this call because I used to be able to find everything no matter what. And then I was having a problem because I like to alphabetize by title because I find that if I can't remember a book when I'm thinking about it, I'm more likely to remember the title before I remember the author. Mm-hmm. So I like to alphabetize by title. So first I alphabetized all my books upstairs, A to Z. And then I filled the upstairs. So then I did it downstairs, like through several of our rooms. I did A to Z. And then I ran out of room there. So then I was just stacking them willy-nilly in my office. And then I was like three stacks deep in my office. And I was like, I can't find things. But I was actually amazed because after all that, I only found two books that I owned more than one copy of. I owned three copies of Six of Crows, which I don't know why. And also, I still haven't read it, (laughs) which really surprised me. Because the last time I did a cult, when I moved into the house, I found that I had duplicates of like 10 or 15
1: books. Yeah. What else did you have duplicates of?
0: Slouching Towards Bethlehem. Interesting. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, one was like the regular paperback and then one was like the mm-hmm. little cool edition that Picador did. Those little tiny ones with the watercolor paintings on the front of the authors. It was kind of like necessary that I have both of them, I think. But I still can't figure out how I ended up with three copies of, of books.
1: <laughs> Have you read it now? No, yeah. I still have not. Is it on the list?
0: It is. I have to finish the first trilogy. I still haven't read the last book in the trilogy before I start those. I'm a stickler for reading books in order.
1: Good to know. Also, that probably incentivizes the backlist exploration.
0: Yes. I'm one of those people who, if I read an author and I really love them, will get all of their backlist (laughs) before I read another book of theirs.
1: And go back to the beginning.
0: Yeah. Like John Boyne. Oh my goodness. So I read The Heart's Invisible Furies, which was just amazing. And it's my favorite book of 2017. And so I went and looked at his backlist and I ended up buying like 18 novels, I think. (laughs) Um, And that's not all of his books. He's written a ton of nonfiction too.
1: Okay. So our producer, Brenna, was just telling me I had to read The Terrible Thing That Happened to Barnaby Brockett, which I have checked out from the library, but haven't read it yet. Is that when you've hit on your backlist?
0: Nope. I have not hit on it. Haven't worked the way forward yet? She told me it was really good. I've heard amazing things. I had not even heard of it until I went and checked all this backlist out. And then, you know, like after, I don't look at reviews before I read books usually if I'm interested in something, but I like to go back and look at them after or like after I purchase something. And that one has just incredible reviews.
1: Yes, I agree. I like to do that too. What's your reason for skipping them prior to reading the book?
0: I find at this point, if you go on Goodreads, like there are a lot of helpful reviews, but I find that people's taste varies. And sometimes like hate ratings just make me so sad. Mm. You know, like mm-hmm. you go on and like you see, like you can go on right now and pick a book that doesn't come out for six months and you can find some of them that have like a two-star rating or a one-star rating because people do that.
1: Didn't let the author's appearance on that podcast, one star. Yeah. yeah, They haven't read the book yet, but yeah, I hear
0: you. So I like to form my own opinions, but I mean, I, I do feel guilty <laughs> how much I read, which I know I shouldn't. I should own it. But, um, if I don't like a book, like that's like, you know, a few hours of my day, you know, no big deal. Let's move on. (laughs) You know, like that, that doesn't bother me. But I find like, if you don't have a lot of time to read, you want to know, is this worth my time? Which is why I like to talk about books that I enjoy, but I don't talk about books that I don't enjoy because I don't want to waste people's time telling them what they shouldn't read because I want them to be happy and find things that they enjoy. Right.
1: Okay. Let's talk more about book recommendations. If recommending books is your calling which I mm-hmm. love putting it like that.
0: I call myself the court suggester. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, you were born in the wrong era. <laughs> uh, when someone asks for your help recommending a book, whether it's online or back when you worked in the bookstore, what are you listening for in order to glean what they enjoy and what they may enjoy reading next?
0: Well, the first thing I ask them is, you know, tell me your three favorite books.
1: <laughs> and then tell me a book,
0: tell me a book that you read recently that you mm-hmm. loved and tell me a book that you read recently that you didn't love. Mm-hmm. And I usually get a pretty good idea from that. And you can also like hear a lot of what they're not saying
1: by like what they choose. What does that sound
0: like? If they're just picking mysteries, then you know that you don't want to, you know, suggest like a romance novel or if they're just picking romance novels, like you should probably pick something you know in that genre. Um, as opposed to like being like, here, read this science book. But there's also, like, little things that, you know, cross over all the time. So it's sometimes fun to, like, be like, do you want to try a new genre? Like, because here's this book I think you will really love because you love birds. And this is about, you know, someone who stole feathers. It's fun. You
1: described yourself as a huge data nerd. Do you think that helps you recommend books to your fellow
0: readers? I do. You know, I've spent so much time already telling you how my memory is not as great as it used to be. But it's still really good. And I'm able to, like, file things away and remember books, like, from so long ago. I think that's very beneficial of being able to recall that, you know, right away. I think it definitely helps. Plus I like to go, I like to keep spreadsheets and I go through and I look at them to like refresh my memory and be like, what am I going to talk about today on all the backlists? you know, and, and and just get all these titles in my head. And I'm like, oh, there was that. That's right. And I read this and that's so much fun. And then I can remember it like next time someone's like, I want to read a book about, you know, raccoons that like to parachute out of planes. And I'm like, oh, I have just the one. I just, re- <laughs> I just reminded of it the other day." I
1: want to read the book about raccoons parachuting out of planes.
0: You could write that book.
1: I could write that book, but then there would be other books I wouldn't get to write. All right. I'm going to think about that book, Liberty. We'll see. I may have to dedicate it to you in 2027 when I finish it. (laughs) So speaking of drawing threads between books, we thought it might be fun to play a game of questions, but with books, because everything is better with books.
0: Everything is better with
1: books. It is. Have you read Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead? I have not. Oh, really? Well, (laughs) Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is one of those. I think it's actually a play. I had to read it in high school English and Mm -hmm. it started with the class going, this is dumb. And it ended with, I think most of the class going, this is amazing. So partly interesting concept, partly a good teacher. I mean, you know, I'm thanking my lucky stars for all the good English teachers I had through the years, not uniformly so, but many of them because... When the grownups in your life are excited about reading, you are excited about reading and you never think it's boring. But Stopper turns Hamlet inside out and he tells the story from the perspective of these two minor characters who are barely mentioned by name in the story. They're a little thick and don't always understand what's going on. But there's this one exchange in the book and I highly encourage you to look it up on YouTube. We'll put a link in show notes to the clip here where they play this game called Questions. The idea is they compare it to tennis and they're volleying questions back and forth to each other. You can only answer the question with a question, and it's really funny. You're going to have to take my word for it, (laughs) or go look it up on YouTube when we're done talking. It's just two minutes, and it's really fun. But I thought it would be fun for us to do that same thing with books, perhaps to play a mental association game where we can volley book recommendations back and forth instead of questions, a la Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Okay. I'm going to start. I'll share a book that I read and loved recently, and I'd love you to pick a book that it reminds you of. Tell me about it and send it back my way. And we'll go from there. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start with a recent read, The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin. (gasps) I hadn't read her first book, The House Girl, but I love a uh, intricate, messy family story about a family that's kind of messed up, but is going to work through it together that ends on an ultimate upbeat of hope. How about you?
0: It's one of my favorites of this year. Oh, I'm so I, glad I've to hear it. I also read it uh, without knowing anything about it. It was one of those ones. And this is where the expiration comes in handy. It was about <laughs> to expire off my uh, laptop and I hadn't read it yet. And I was like, okay, I've heard good things, like not good things, but like I have heard people say that they have read this book and loved it. So um, I read it and it it just blew me away. Like the whole thing with her being, you know, 102 at the start of the book and like narrating it and and being a poet and like this is sort of where it came from. I just loved that book. So, so, so much. And it reminded me a little bit of another book that came out this year that I really enjoyed. The Care and Feeding of Ravenous Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray, which is another one about siblings, um, some terrible things that happen when they are young and how that affects them when they are older. But it also um, looks at parents who are incarcerated, um, which is something that you don't often see in in novels, like what it's like for the families. Um, When a member of the family does something like how it affects the other people in the family um, who have nothing to do with it and also how it affects the children when their parents are incarcerated. Um, I thought it was really, really wonderful.
1: Yes, I am actually listening to The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls. That is a long title and I like it Uh, right now. I've been working on it slowly for about a month because it's one of those books that you're not always ready to like go to that place Mm because it's heavy, but I'm enjoying it. I did find that incarceration theme really interesting. It makes me think of an an American marriage, obviously, but it also makes me think of this book I'm reading right now. It's The Words Between Us by Erin Bartles. And just last night, while I was reading The Galley in Bed, the author had to travel across many states to go visit her mother, who's been incarcerated, for reasons that aren't entirely clear because it looks like it might have been a frame job. But tonight I'm gonna to finish and I'm gonna find out what really happened. So that's The Words Between Us by Aaron Bartles.
0: That's a novel though. That's not true. No, it's a novel. Okay. No, it's a novel. I was I was like, is that a true story? How would be?
1: Maybe it's based on something true. In the novel, this poor young 15-year-old narrator, the fear is that her parents may have sold arms to 9-11 perpetrators. Oh. So her parents are public enemies like way up the list. And she gets to live with that.
0: Can I dig way back and go dark? Yes. Because um I had reason to, to mention this to someone recently and it's it's like still at the front of my head. It's a memoir. It's I think it's twenty-five years old now, but I still think about it often. It's called Shot in the Heart by Michael Gilmore. He, it's about his brother who was Gary Gilmore in the in the late 70s. He was a criminal. He killed some people. It was a very famous case. And he was arrested and he petitioned to be sentenced to death. An executioner song by Norman Mailer yeah. was written about his case. This is Michael Stray. Um, Gary was much older than him and Michael just talks about like what their family was like growing up, how his father was very hard on Gary. He doesn't make any excuses for him because what he did was horrible. It's it's a really interesting viewpoint of a survivor of this kind of thing. And the writing is just incredible. And when Elizabeth McCracken, who is my favorite author, um, when I first started following her on Twitter, she mentioned it. And I was like, there's one other person in the world who has read this book. And I was so happy. You know, it's very sad, but it's, it's really also enlightening. And the writing is incredible. It's called Shot in the Heart by Michael Gilmore, but it's Michael M-I-K-A-L. I don't know if he still writes for Rolling Stone, but he did write for Rolling Stone for a really long time. That sounds fascinating. And what it
1: makes me think of is a book in a different genre that's still very relevant, and that is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, because what he writes about is how trauma of any kind deeply impacts the way that we live and think and move through the world and interact with others and how until we untangle the trauma that we've experienced in our own lives... We will remain stuck in that trauma, and he—it's fascinating the way he talks about what he's discovered about uncovering and treating people who have dealt with unimaginable things—is uh, sometimes so kooky that I had to read it out loud to my husband to say, "Listen to this. This really works." But mostly, just a uh, really, really insightful. So, psychology nonfiction. The body keeps the score,
0: and that makes me think of the deepest well. By Nadine Burke Harris, which I read last year, I think it came out last year, Healing the Long-Term Effects of Childhood Adversity. And it was incredibly fascinating about how trauma in children physically changes your body, physically changes your brain, your makeup. You know, like there was one child who I mean it's all it's also terribly, terribly sad. Um, You know, there was one child who stopped growing because of trauma. And it just made me think, you know, every day, like how important it is to treat children well and to watch what you say to children and, you know, to protect them because then they grow up to be adults with all this trauma. It's so, so, so sad, you know, like these terrible things happen and then we expect people to be functional adults. And this kind of looks at like how physically changes people.
1: Right. Because you carry the trauma in your body. Okay. I'm going to take a hard pivot to talk about kids, kids experiencing hard things, but hard on a I'm 12 and I don't like the way my life is right now, not deeply traumatic. And that is my favorite middle grade novel of the year so far. It's true. I don't read a ton, but it's still my favorite. And that is Two Night Owl from Dogfish. I've been excited to read this since I first found out that Holly Goldberg Sloan and Meg Wolitzer were writing a book together. This is about two young girls whose dad's Fall in love with each other at a, (laughs) with some kind of trade show in Chicago for maybe the building industry. That's not the point, but the details are kind of fun. So one of them is in California. One of them is in Texas. They catch wind of the fact that their dads are sending them to summer camp together. So they'll hit it off because they're maybe going to become a family and the girls are having none of it. So they start writing emails to each other. Look, I don't like you and I never will, but this is what you should know. We need to break this plan up. So it's like the parent trap, but contemporary version, and it goes in directions I don't expect, fun and funny and warm-hearted.
0: So that reminds me of Listen Slowly by Tanah Lai. I think is how you pronounce her name. Um, It's my favorite middle grade novel of 2015. It's about a young girl named Mai. She lives in California. She's 10. She is all about the summer, which is coming, school vacation. Uh, She's going to surf and she's going to hang out with her friends at the beach and she's going to crush on this boy that she really likes. And instead, her parents tell her that she's going to accompany her grandmother to Vietnam because her grandmother has a chance to find out what actually happened to her husband during the Vietnam War. Um, Her parents came over Uh, at the end of the Vietnam War, and and Mai has never been there before, and this is a total bummer for her. Lai just writes the best, like, exasperated 10-year-old voice through the whole book, like, just being like, oh, this is a drag, and I can't believe I have to do this, and then, like, slowly being like, this country is amazing, and what my grandmother went through was so hard, and I don't want to leave here. Like, I love everyone here and everything about it, and she won the National Book Award for Inside Out and Back Again, which is also an incredible book, but this one is my favorite. That sounds really interesting and it's not one I've read. It reminds me
1: of a Vietnam novel I have read called Going After Cacciato by Tim O'Brien, a novel not about the Vietnam experience you're describing and listen slowly, but an altogether different experience of the country. And that is through the eyes of a soldier in the Vietnam War. But this book, best way I can describe it is that it plays off Alice in Wonderland. There's a chapter in the book where the characters escape the maze of tunnels that they are trapped in by falling out the same way they fell in. That's your big tip off that, oh, something strange is afoot here. I think it's fascinating because it's it's a novel about the Vietnam War that is playing with Alice in Wonderland. And I really enjoy interesting juxtapositions like that.
0: Yeah, related Tim O'Brien note, which I just heard about, he's writing for This Is Us, the television show, which I have not seen, but I understand has parts to do with the Vietnam
1: War. I've only seen the first season. I did not know Tim O'Brien was involved in any capacity. That is fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Um, my... Favorite novel about the Vietnam War is Matterhorn by Carl Merlantis. He spent 30 years writing this novel. He himself was in the Vietnam War. It's based on some of his experiences. It's about how, you know, the, the higher-ups in the military, you know, made the soldiers do all this dangerous stuff that they didn't want to do. They did stuff that they, you know, told them wouldn't work. They made them do it anyway. You know, how there was racism, like in the camps, like this, the soldiers, like they would, you know, all bunk together and they wouldn't get along. People were just being awful to each other, like on the same side. It's like 600 pages long. And I could have read like another 600 pages of it. It is so fascinating and just absolutely heartbreaking. And you can tell like the detail is so amazing that he was there himself. Um, he has a book coming out in a few months called Deep River, which I'm really excited to read, which should not take him 30 years to write. So that's one of the ones that I've like been holding off on because I'm so excited about it. But uh, this was just absolutely beautiful. If you enjoy reading military history, it's just incredible.
1: I haven't read Matterhorn, but I'm so intrigued by the way you describe it and also the idea of spending 30 years writing a novel. Wow. And it reminds me of my favorite war novel of the past few months because there are a lot these days, are there not? Yes. And that is the World War II historical novel, The Huntress by Kate Quinn, which we could also talk about The Body Keeps the Score there also. But in her acknowledgement, she thanks her, I guess her editor, Kate Quinn says, thank you for the extra month you gave me to finish the novel. This thing is 560 <laughs> pages. I don't know how long it took her, not 30 years, but probably more than one. This is a World War II historical novel. It's told from multiple perspectives. I listened to it on audio. It sucked me right in. What happens here is there is a Nazi war criminal. It's a woman. She is the Huntress, which I was a German minor in school. So it was kind of fun to be able to understand still after all these years, some of the German. So she was the Jägerin to the Nazis. And I really loved, well, I love in any historical novel, any author's notes that give you insight into the author's process, who they base their characters on, what was true and what was imagined. But she mashed up two real women from Nazi Germany to create her character, the Huntress. The Huntress is vanished. So there is a journalist looking for her. Oh, and she's obviously a highly wanted war criminal because she is responsible for the deaths of many allies in a very cold, cruel way. There's a journalist whose brother was one of the last people she killed, and he's determined to avenge his brother's death. Then there's a female fighter pilot who is the only woman alive who they are certain can actually recognize the huntress. When she sees her, no one else can recognize her. So these two characters are on the hunt together to find this war criminal. And I love the way this story is told from different viewpoints in time. You go before the war, during the war, and after the war from multiple perspectives. And sometimes in a novel like this, you, um, like skim one perspective because to get back to the good stuff, the storyline you really care about. All these perspectives really worked. I just love the characters. It was such a great story. It was really well told. It was complex, but Kate Quinn nailed it. She's the author of The Alice Network, which I really loved a few years back. And I thought, oh, what's she going to do next? It's even better. So good.
0: My favorite nonfiction book about World War Two. I, I mean, I have a set. I have several. I like to read military history, but one that I find a lot of people can engage with is "Agent Zigzag: A True Story of Nazi Espionage, Love, and Betrayal" by Ben McIntyre. Um, he's written several books, like "Sex on the Moon," and I think this was his first nonfiction book. I think he used to write uh, X Files tie-ins. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think I think that's him. Forget what you're reading because you're like, this is like the Keystone Cops. It's not possible. But it's the true story of this criminal he was a con man. His name was Eddie Chapman and he was British and he got stuck when the Nazis invaded. They said to him, you know, you're in big trouble. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go back to Britain and I'm going to spy for you because he was a con man and he was also very charming and he could talk his way out of anything. And so they said, okay. And so they sent him back to Britain and he went to the government there and said, the Nazis think I'm spying for them. I will spy for you. It was like all this like double agent Craziness! You read this book and you're like, this didn't really happen. This is something out of like Get Smart. Some of the most ridiculous things that they fell for, pretending that buildings had been blown up by doctoring photos and and stuff like that. And also just like this guy, he was just he's so ridiculous and smarmy and just gross. And you're like, is he going to follow through with what he's doing, you know, or is he going to just forget everything or you know screw them over like he's done with everyone else in his life? It's so so interesting.
1: I don't know that book, but I did read and love A Spy Among Friends by McIntyre. And yes, the truth is stranger than fiction. All right, Liberty, I'm going to call an end to our Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Weird Literary Adventure. Thank you for experimenting with me on that one.
0: You're welcome. It was fun.
1: How would you feel about recommending a book for me before we sign off?
0: Sure. I would love to. What What's something that you're interested in reading? Is there a genre that you haven't explored that you've always wanted to read? Is there an author with an extensive backlist, like where you should start?
1: Well, I've never read Elizabeth McCracken, so let's start there. (gasps) Tell me which one I should start with.
0: The Giant's House, for sure.
1: I don't know that one.
0: It's like the most perfect of all her novels. I think it's the most perfect of all novels, really, that I've ever read. But it gives you a really good sense of her beautiful writing. It gives you a really good sense of her uniqueness. I don't want to say quirky. That's not a great word for it, but she's just everything has like a l- subtle little shift to less than normal um, in her books. And she's so incredible. You read a sentence you're like, I'd have to read that 15 more times. The giant's house is about a librarian In uh, New England, and there is a boy who comes to the library and he can't stop growing. And they form this friendship over the years as he continues to grow. And he's like seven feet tall and he just keeps, keeps growing. And it's about loneliness and it's about forming a bond with somebody. It's so, so beautiful. She's just amazing. I mean, I've had a chance to meet her a couple of times and both times I just make a fool of myself. I make a fool of myself (laughs) with all (laughs) authors all the time, um, but definitely in front of Elizabeth McCracken.
1: That's not how I expected the plot summary to go. <laughs> I know the new Peter Heller is waiting for me at the library. <gasps> Thoughts? Yes.
0: Everything he writes. Is <laughs> I do feel like The Dog Stars came out and everyone, like The Road had just come out a couple years earlier and everyone was super into apocalyptic novels. The Dog Stars did really well. And then I feel like no one really paid attention to the fact that he wrote more books after that. Not no one, but a lot of people. They're like, yeah, The Dog Stars. But, I mean, he had The Painter, which came out after that, which was Mm -hmm. phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And then Celine last year. So, so, so good. Or maybe the year before. Based on his mom. And then The River, which, first of all, I can't stop staring at the cover. The pattern, like with the paddle, just transfixing. Maybe that's how they get you to read the book. It's like, you are now under our spell. (laughs) I keep going back to that cover. I just love it. Definitely worth picking up. All of his stuff is worth it.
1: And finally, how about something fun for summer?
0: Something fun for summer. There are so many, many things. I just read a fantastic graphic novel, um, or I should say, I guess it's a web comic that was collected. That's a
1: genre that I don't read much of at all. So that's a good place to go.
0: This one was not what I was expecting at all. I did not know anything about it except that a bunch of my book ride co-workers were telling me that I absolutely needed to read this. And so I picked it up and they are right. It's called Check Please. And this is book number one, and it's by Naguzi Ukazu. It's about this kid. He's a junior figure skater champion from Georgia, and he goes to this imaginary college called Samuel University. It's not imaginary in the book. Like, he's not making it up. It's just not a real place. It's in Rhode Island, I believe. He joins the hockey team, and it's not what you think is going to happen. There is none of the usual, like, infighting or gross jokes sexist, you know, beer swilling, you know, hockey players, <laughs> It's all about community. And he likes to bake, he makes pies, and he's making video blogs. He's, he's a vlogger, like talking about his experience, like on the hockey team, and like the interactions that he has, and like all the friendships that he makes. And, and it's so sweet. And it's romantic, like he falls in love with a teammate. I could not get enough of it.
1: I don't know that one. And I don't think a graphic novel about hockey would have called my name if I saw it anywhere. So thank you so much.
0: <laughs> You're welcome.
1: What are you looking forward to reading this summer that you haven't read yet?
0: I really, really want The Memory Police by Yoko Agawa. So if anyone from Echo Books is listening, please send it to me. Um, she wrote The Housekeeper and the Professor. I haven't read that. Totally different. She wrote a book of scary stories called Revenge which are all about revenge and really seriously strange things happening. This one is sort of like a sci-fi thriller from what I understand. So I'm really, really, really excited about that. I really want to read the ta Coates novel, which the name of which is escaping me. I don't even know. Do we know it yet? I just heard that it's happening. So that's exciting. Liberty,
1: when we hang up here today, what's the next thing you
0: are going to be reading? I am going to be picking up. I have to look over my shoulder at what I have coming up next. Uh, I'm going to be picking up The Affairs of the Falcons by Mosa Rivero because that is coming out next week and I need to check it out.
1: I listened to half of that on audio recently. Excellent.
0: I have to say I've never listened to an audio book.
1: People tell me they're amazing. (laughs) They don't go nearly as fast as staring at your giant computer screen.
0: Yeah. Like if I had a commute, I'm sure that I would be all about them. Um, or actually people would probably want me to pay attention to the road because I'm a great, <laughs> maybe not, but they would, um, it's true. I'm hundred percent on board for other people listening to them.
1: <laughs> well, I am going to finish the Erin Bartles book, find out why this mom is in jail and if she really deserves to be. And then I'm starting in on Natalie Tan's book of luck and fortune by Roselle Lim.
0: Yeah, I have that on my shelf too. I'm looking forward to that as well.
1: The cover is so stinking adorable. It really, really is. I don't know if it's mesmerizing like the Peter Heller, the river, but it's (laughs) adorable with all the San Francisco and the swirly, it looks like a genie has been unleashed from a bottle. (laughs) Liberty, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking books with me today.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been so much fun.
1: Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Liberty and I would love to hear what you think Liberty should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 180, that's one eight zero, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Liberty is a must follow on Instagram. Her handle is Franzen Comes Alive. F-R-A-N-Z-E-N, Franzen Comes Alive. You can find her on Twitter at MissLiberty. And you can get more book recommendations from her by listening to her All the Books podcast from Book Riot. Readers, I'll see you next week. In the meantime, catch this week's episode of my new podcast, One Great Book, coming this Friday. This is my new short form podcast where I pull one standout selection off my personal bookshelves and tell you all about it in 10 minutes or less. Get one great book wherever you get your podcasts, or listen online at modernmrsdarcy.com slash one great book. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in Books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you're not on the list, you can fix that now by visiting whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. If you enjoyed this podcast, spread the book love, share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or give us a shout on Instagram. I just found out that you can also recommend podcasts on other podcast apps, such as my favorite app, Overcast, which is what I use to listen to my podcasts every week. If you're able to recommend us in your favorite app by tapping that star button, we sure would appreciate it. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.